We turn in Holy Scripture this afternoon to the New Testament. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me first to the Gospel of John chapter 4 and then to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Gospel of John chapter 4. We're just parachuting into a conversation uh, between a woman of Samaria and the Lord Jesus and we're giving special attention to their conversation about where God wants his people to be worshipped. In John chapter 4, beginning at verse 19, page 1053 in the Pew Bible. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. We turn also to the book of Hebrews this afternoon, the 12th chapter, beginning at the 18th verse. With reference to the experience of God's people at Sinai, the apostle there writes, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So far, God's Holy Word. We'll pause in the reading of the Word. I you to open your Bibles to the 122nd Psalm. This is the third Song of Ascents, the third Lord's Day afternoon in a row where we can give our attention to one of these songs. Uh, this one has that same title and adds the words of David. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, 
I will seek your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing uh, this afternoon. My beloved in the Lord Jesus, this afternoon, I hope you've noticed by virtue of our singing and our scripture readings that our focus is on Jerusalem. I think right now when most of us think of Jerusalem, what comes to mind is the war going on between Israel and Hamas in the Middle East. What comes to mind is the absence of of the very things that the psalmist prays for Jerusalem in the second half of this psalm. There's an absence of peace. There's an absence of security. What probably doesn't come to mind when you think of Jerusalem is home. And yet that is what Jerusalem was for God's people in the Old Testament. It was their spiritual home. Still is that for a lot of Jews today. Jerusalem was the spiritual home of the people of God because it was the place where the Lord's home was located. It was their home because it was His home. The house of the Lord was there. You'll notice in the psalm that the house of the Lord gets mentioned in the opening verse as well as in the closing verse, a bit of a a bookend to just zero your attention in on one of the things that makes Jerusalem special. Now, as you presumably know, the house of the Lord is gone. The temple of the Lord was destroyed some 2,000 years ago, and its place actually is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And it begs the question, how do you enter into the joy of this psalm, which celebrates the arrival of God's people in Jerusalem? Our journey, we sang, has been richly blessed. It's a journey as we saw a few weeks back with Psalm 120 that begins far from home. It's a journey that, as we saw last Lord's Day in 121, is one that is made only with the help of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And now, as we arrive at 122 this afternoon, the people who've been making this journey are home at last. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. How do you enter into that joy of this psalm? Well, to enter into the joy of this psalm, you need to know that in the unfolding story of God's redeeming a people for himself, uh, there is not merely one Jerusalem. The Bible reveals to us that there are two Jerusalems. There is the earthly Jerusalem and there is the heavenly Jerusalem. The earthly Jerusalem is the old Jerusalem that belongs to the old covenant. The heavenly Jerusalem is the new Jerusalem that belongs to the new covenant. And each time we gather for worship, 
we are standing in the new Jerusalem. Our reading in Hebrews chapter 12 is key to entering into the joy of this particular psalm. If you don't quite get that, it it gets hard to, to enter into this joy. There the apostle says in Hebrews chapter 12 as he's contrasting two different mountains, Mount Sinai where God uh, gave his law and it trembled and it smoked and he gave commands not to touch it, even animals would be stoned. He contrasts that mountain with uh, what he calls Mount Zion. And we would think that he's going to talk about the earthly Jerusalem and the city of God, but instead he talks about Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And as he's contrasting, he says, you have not come to that mountain, the old one, Sinai, but you have come to this mountain, Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He doesn't say you will come to the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem. He says you have come to that city. This afternoon as we as God's people in this place, worship him together. Our feet are standing in the gates of that Jerusalem. Our feet are standing where God has his dwelling place. And to stand in that place and we do so by faith. To stand in that place is to experience the very same thing that the people of God experienced so long ago as they stood in Jerusalem. It is to experience great joy, which leads to both praise and prayer. This afternoon I open God's word to you to the 122nd Psalm with the theme, the great joy of standing in the new Jerusalem uh, leads us to praise and to prayer. And we'll consider together uh, the two parts of the psalm. The psalm divides, just so you know, between verses 1 through 5 and then verses 6 through 9. So the first part, uh, we're going to see the reasons uh, for our praise of Jerusalem. And then the second part, uh, the content of our prayers uh, for Jerusalem. As much as this psalm reflects and expresses uh, the joy of having arrived in Jerusalem after a long journey, uh, the psalmist tells us uh, from the very start that even before he started on the journey, uh, he, was, he was glad. He was happy. He was filled with joy. He says there, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Who are these people that he refers to? I rejoiced with those who said to me. Oh, they're his, his family members. They're his friends. They're his neighbors. They're the, the people from his village, from his town. It was time for one of the three annual feasts, probably the Passover. That's, that's the one that almost everyone would would take the opportunity to make pilgrimage to take the long journey to Jerusalem. It's time, and, and the people in town are saying, are you going? Let's go to the house 
of the Lord. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I want you to notice that there's a community here that's worshiping. The great joy of standing in the gates of Jerusalem is a joy that is experienced within community. I don't know if you've ever had it in the quiet of your bed on a Sunday morning, or maybe you're a napper in the quiet of your bed on a Sunday afternoon. That as you lay there, you and your pillow, you don't really feel like going to worship. You're not so glad at the thought of going to worship. But once you're here, and you're with the other people of God, well, suddenly everything kind of shifts. Even if there wasn't gladness before, there's there's gladness now. There's joy now. And, and And you hear this communal joy expressed in the second verse of the psalm. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. It's this exciting moment of arrival in the in the big city. They're so excited to be there. And their great joy leads them to this praise of Jerusalem. What is it about Jerusalem that has them so uh, happy? What are the reasons for their praise? Well, there's four of them as we go through the first uh, part of the, the psalm this afternoon, and I'll just mention uh, each as we go along. The first, and by far the, the most important reason why Jerusalem is praised in this psalm is because it's where the Lord has his home. I mentioned that earlier, but it it bears repeating. uh, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Uh, First and foremost, the great excitement over the annual trip to Jerusalem was because here was an opportunity to go to the Lord's house. Here was the opportunity to go and meet the Lord in his home. And I want to pause to say, beloved, that whatever else might excite you about worship, and I hope there's a bunch of things that excite you about worship, but whatever else might excite you about worship, whatever might gladden your heart at being here today, Let this be first and let this be foremost among the reasons for your joy that you are meeting the Lord in his house. And when I say in his house, I'm not talking about this structure. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the heavenly Jerusalem, which as I remind you, Hebrews 12 says, you've come to it. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And and as, as the apostle there in that scripture that we read, as he works out who's all there as we come to the heavenly Jerusalem, I believe he saves the best for last because he talks about all sorts of different people. And then he says, and we have come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. 
whose sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Our great joy in standing in the New Jerusalem is first and it is foremost because we have come to Jesus and His sprinkled blood has washed us clean from all of our sins. So this is first, the first reason for the praise of Jerusalem. There's God. We meet Him. Second reason that the psalmist praises Jerusalem of old is expressed by him in verse 3. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. A lot of people who would make this journey to Jerusalem were people who came from small villages. It was a rural nation, an agrarian nation. What they weren't used to was the big city. And what they weren't used to was walls and gates of just enormous scope and, and size. And as they, as they walk up, as they ascend to Jerusalem, there is this, there's this walled city. The wall encircling the whole city. And, and the psalmist sees in those walls this city that is built together. He sees a deeper truth. That is, he sees the truth about them as a nation. And it's a striking truth given his description of the nation in verse 4. He describes the nation as a group of tribes. This is where the tribes go up. Israel was a nation of 12 distinct tribes living in 12 distinct areas, different people, different customs. And yet, notice what he calls them in verse 4. He doesn't just call them the tribes. He calls them the tribes of the Lord. What brings 12 different tribes together in one place? That's well, the fact that there is but one Lord of all of these tribes. Well, I hope you can anticipate where we're going at this moment. Because when we go up, we are a, a motley group of people. We're not only from different tribes of one nation, we're from different tribes and nations and peoples and tongues. And yet we too are like a city that is closely compacted together. The New, Jerus uh, the, the New Testament pictures the church often as a building bound firmly together in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone. We're reminded here in this psalm that there is but one holy and universal church of Jesus Christ. It is a church that is present on earth, and it is a church that is present in heaven. That's why when you come to the heavenly Jerusalem, you also come to the church of the firstborn. 
and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We live in an age of tribalism. Tribalism marks our culture. And tribalism all too often marks the church. I'm in this tribe and you're in that tribe. And our tribes don't like each other. Well, in this age of tribalism, culturally but also religiously, within the church itself, we hear in this psalm a reminder to rejoice in the unity that the Lord Jesus has brought to people from every different tribe and tongue and people and nation. Too often, we as Christians, and sometimes as Reformed Christians, we are the worst, Too often we as Christians are busy emphasizing our distinctives. We're arguing over our differences. We're setting ourselves apart from one another rather than rejoicing. Rather than rejoicing in the reality that we are all part of the one church of Jesus Christ. We belong to the Lord Jesus it's the second reason that there is praise for Jerusalem in the psalm. Psalmist is not done. There's a third reason why he uh, praises Jerusalem. And you see that in the back half of verse 4. It says there, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. The statute that the psalmist would be referring to is found among other places in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy is the book where Moses is preparing the people for entry into the promised land because Moses himself is not going to be allowed in. So he repeats the covenant, gives them the Ten Commandments again, but also gives them some further instructions. One of the things he says to them is when you go into the land of promise, you are going to find all sorts of places of worship. You're going to find all kinds of altars, for worship. You're going to find all kinds of images and idols for worship. And you need to get rid of all of it. Because that way of worshiping and those places of worshiping and those means of worshiping are not how the Lord is to be worshiped. And then the Lord says, I'm going to choose one place for myself where I'm going to dwell and I'm going to place my name there and that place is where you're going to come. That's the statute that is referenced here at the end of verse 4. But of course, (laughs) we're here in Surrey this afternoon. So either we're doing a rather lousy job of obeying Deuteronomy 12 or something has changed since Deuteronomy 12. And something has changed. Jesus has come. And Jesus' coming has profoundly changed the place of worship, where God is to be worshipped. And just to bring that home for you this afternoon, we read that little piece from John chapter 4 where a woman of Samaria and a Jewish man named Jesus have a conversation over a centuries-long argument between the two groups of people. Where does God want to be worshipped? Is it this mountain and they're on a mountain in Samaria having a conversation? Or is it in Jerusalem? And Jesus is like, well, it's in Jerusalem. We're right, us Jews, you Samaritans are wrong. But it doesn't matter. Because the time is coming. And then he says, and is now here. 
where none of that will matter anymore. Because the Father seeks worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's the upshot of that passage and of others like it. Whenever and wherever Christians gather together for worship, their feet are standing in the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem. It doesn't matter where we gather, it doesn't matter when we gather. When we gather, wherever we gather, our feet are standing in the gates of Jerusalem. The place is no longer one place. It's any and every place. That's changed, but what what remains unchanging is the command to worship. And what remains unchanging is the purpose for worship. Notice the purpose of worship in verse 4, to praise the name of the Lord. I referenced earlier that sometimes we struggle to get to worship. We sometimes struggle to be glad uh, to worship. And I believe that most of our struggles are related to this fact that we've lost sight of the primary purpose for worship. The primary purpose for worship is to praise the name of the Lord. If you lose sight of that, There's all sorts of reasons why you may be less than glad to go to worship. I, I'll let you figure it out in terms of yourself and, and your reasons. In my church, I, I hear some reasons. Right? Music is so-so. Organist plays a little too loud. Sermons are less than inspiring. Buildings too hot, buildings too cold. I hear better when I'm just sitting in front of my TV. Oh, and then there's the people. Yeah, the people can be a real letdown sometimes. So here we, here we have these things, and they're, they're, as it were, all distractions from the primary purpose for gathering together for worship, and that is to praise the name of the Lord. Verse 4 is this wonderful one-line little reminder that the primary purpose of going to worship is to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There's this little reminder, and it's a wonderful one, that worship happens first and foremost very simply because the Lord deserves it. We come here to meet him, as I've already said. And we come here to praise him. He deserves it. He is merciful and gracious to us. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love toward us. He is a God who forgives us our iniquities and blots out all of our transgressions. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. His name is wonderful. There's one more reason why the psalmist praises Jerusalem, and you'll find it in the fifth verse. 
There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Jerusalem was a special place, not only because it was where the Lord's house was, it was where the king's house was. It was where the royal thrones were set, where they stood, where the kings in the line of David would sit and they would issue judgments from those thrones. Jerusalem was the place where you could go to have the wrongs committed against you righted. It was the place of justice. It's why justice is such a strong theme of the Psalms. I think of Psalm 72 and the prayer, Oh God, give to the king your justice. May he judge your peoples with righteousness and your poor with justice. A lot of poor people, a lot of vulnerable people. You had the little people and you had the big man. And often the big man was crushing the little people. And on paper, at least, the little man could go to Jerusalem because there the thrones for justice were reality and wrongs could be righted. Well, we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, as I've been saying, and what do we find? We find King Jesus seated at the right hand of God on the throne of his father David. God has given to Jesus justice, his justice. And even now, King Jesus is ruling the world with justice, and he's judging the peoples with equity. He's defending the cause of the poor. He's defending the cause of the needy. He's defending the cause of his church. And after he has defeated all evil, after he has defeated every enemy, he will cause his people to dwell eternally in peace and in security. And as his church, we long for that. We long for peace, we long for security, and that forms the content of our prayers for Jerusalem. Now I want to be clear, there's no actual praying to the Lord in the second half of this psalm. None of what you find in the verses 6 through 9 is a word of prayer spoken to the Lord. The psalmist does not speak to the Lord at all. The psalmist speaks to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the you and is the your of the second half of this psalm. May those who love you, Jerusalem, be secure. May there be peace within your walls, security within your citadels. I will say, peace be within you. And for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. He's just talking to Jerusalem. He's telling Jerusalem, Here is what I am praying for you. And the focus of his prayers are peace and security. And the two things go hand in hand, do they not? Where there is peace, people can live securely. The word secure, security, is rooted in a word that speaks of being calm of being quiet, of being relaxed. To be secure, to feel secure, is to feel within your soul a calmness and a quiet. 
And there's a calmness and a quiet on the inside when there's a calmness and a quiet on the outside. Why is this the focus of the prayer for Jerusalem? Why? I mean, it's obvious that he loves Jerusalem. And there's many reasons to praise Jerusalem. But but why this prayer for peace and security? Because there's always going to be things that threaten the existence of Jerusalem. He, He doesn't want to lose Jerusalem. For all the reasons he's already said he loves Jerusalem and it gives him great joy and it gives God's people great joy. He doesn't want to lose that. The very place that he loves so deeply is is a place that experiences threats both from outside and from inside. And, And what was true of the earthly Jerusalem of the Old Covenant and sadly is true of the earthly Jerusalem of today is also true of the heavenly Jerusalem of the New Covenant. As long as evil is present in this world in the form of the devil and his demons, the New Jerusalem will always be facing threats from both inside and outside. The devil's an equal opportunity fella. If he can come into the church with things like false teaching, with things like arguments and divisions, and disturb the peace and security of the church, he, he will do that. But failing that, he will also be coming from the outside through persecution, through discrimination, through oppression. And by those means, he will seek to disturb the peace and the security of Jerusalem. And what all of this means is that if you deeply love Jerusalem, you'll be constant in your prayer for her. And you will pray for her peace and you will pray for her security. And why will you pray? Because only the Lord can provide peace and security to Jerusalem. And I want you to realize that the Lord has already provided peace and security in answer to the prayers of this psalm. God has given peace and God has given security to Jerusalem through his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, if you don't know the story of Abel and his blood, this is the story. He experienced the hostility of his brother named Cain. And in a hostile act, Cain kills Abel and his blood seeps out into the ground. The sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, but their stories are linked because Jesus had his brothers commit a hostile act against him and his blood seeped into the wood of the cross and down into the earth. Jesus experienced hostility both from outside, Romans, and from inside, Jews. And he experienced all of this hostility in order that he might be your peace and in order that he might be your security. And as you are joined to Jesus by faith, 
And as we together are being built up into him, like a city that is built compactly together, then even though the evil one will do his worst, this is our confidence that Jerusalem will never fall. We pin our hopes on Jesus who said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And when you find your peace and when you find your security in Jesus, then you can join the psalmist in making the commitment that closes the psalm. And this is his commitment for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. That is because God dwells here. I will seek your prosperity. I will seek after your good. I will seek after your well-being. That begins with prayer and praying for peace and security. But it does not end there. It doesn't stop there. It continues with you doing whatever you can to be an agent of peace and of security. Because you see, whoever finds their peace and security in Jesus is also equipped in the power of the Holy Spirit to be an agent of his peace and an agent of his security. And that always begins right here in the local church. It begins in your relationships with each other. This church, every local church, needs to be a safe place. Every local church needs to be a place where every member can experience peace and security in Jesus as he is faithfully proclaimed. And also where every member can experience peace and security in relationship with one another as Jesus is faithfully imitated. I'll say it this way, it's not enough to faithfully proclaim Jesus as your peace and security. We need to live out Jesus, his peace and security in relationship with one another. Otherwise, while while the preaching is faithful, the place is not safe. And I come to this with those words of verse 8. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of my brothers and friends. Why for their sake? And the psalmist will tell you because I love them. And because we love to stand together in the courts of Jerusalem. For now, brothers and sisters, our feet are standing there by faith. But after Jesus has removed the last of those enemies, after he has brought an end to all evil, the new Jerusalem, John saw it in the Revelation. We're going to sing about it in just a moment. John saw in the Revelation that that new Jerusalem coming down from out of heaven to earth. And we will stand all together in the courts of the house of the Lord our God. And we will see Jerusalem with our eyes and we will see God with our eyes. And we will look at each other and say we're home at last. Our journey was richly blessed. Our ascent from the valley of tears will be finished. It will be complete. And with his hand, God will reach out and wipe away the last of those tears. And then all the crying will be done and over with. What unimaginable joy we will experience then in that moment and for eternity.
And so let us be glad already now as we continue to call out to one another, as we continue to encourage one another, saying, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen.